So I started a, a new series, mini-series really, and, and I'm not going to go into all of that right now because I preached on it last week, and if you want to get the lowdown on that, go, go find the podcasts online. Um, but uh, I came, came across a text which will come up behind me, and, and Ian, if you can help drive because I'm not sure that this is working. It's Second Chronicles 15 verse 1. It says, The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. And I said those interesting names. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa. And all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel was without a true God and without a teacher priest and without law. But when in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, he was found by them. In those times, there was no peace to him who went out and to him who came in. For great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the land, and they were broken into pieces. Nation was crushed by nation, city by city, for God troubled them with every sort of distress. But you, but you, life us, but you, Mr. X, but you, Mrs. Mrs. Y, take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. As soon as Asa heard these words, the prophecy of Azariah, the son of Oded, he took courage, and he put away the detestable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities that had been taken in the hill country of Ephraim. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the vestibule of the house of the Lord. And he gathered all of Judah and Benjamin and those from Ephraim and Manasseh and Simeon who were residing with him. For great numbers who had deserted them from, from Israel when they saw that they, the Lord, his God, was with them. They were gathered at Jerusalem in the third month of the 15th year of the reign of Asa. They sacrificed to the Lord on that day from the spoil that they had brought, 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with their hearts and with all of their soul. But that, whatever, but that whoever would seek the Lord, the God of Israel, would be put to death, whether young or old, man or, or, or woman. They swore an oath to the Lord with a loud voice and with shouting and with trumpets and with horns. And all of Judah rejoiced. Over the oath, for they had sworn with their hearts and their thoughts with their whole desire, and he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest on all sides. Let me see if this works. So the, the central theme or the central verse that I'm wanting to focus on this morning again is, but you take courage, do not let your hands be weak, for you shall be rewarded. And what does courage mean? Well, courage can mean one of two things. It can mean the quality of mind and spirit that enables you to face these difficult circumstances, to go through danger, to go through pain without fear. And then there's this having the boldness to act on one's convictions and belief despite the opposition, despite the criticism, despite the world that we live in. And I'm focusing more on number two because we live in a world that takes us away from God. Because what is the courage that Azariah is asking of Asa and of Judah? He's saying, spend time with me. Come draw close to me and I'll draw close to you. I will speak to you. And what I did, and I'm going to cover last week very briefly, is I've got this flow chart. Ian, if you can go, it didn't work. Um, is that when God is not with us, what we see starts to happen. We don't seek him. He's not with us. We start to fear and we start to make decisions based on fear, based on what man is telling us. And I went through Second Chronicles 16 where Asa messes up because he doesn't seek the face of God and he makes decisions. And what happens is, is because of that, he lands up the rest of his life in war and not in peace. And he becomes bitter towards people and he oppresses people and he hurts people. But if we are with God and we seek him with our whole hearts 
and we hear the word of the Lord, which is where faith comes from. When faith rises in our hearts, as you can see, as I heard the word of the Lord and courage rose within his heart. We are people that are called to draw close to God, to hear his word. Courage comes up in us and we start to understand what he wants from us. Our speak changes. When our speak changes, we start to act out on the things that God has called us to. And then no fear. The fear dissipates and we get strength and courage. And we start to do what he's asked us to do as we worship him. And you know what happens? God rewards us and he gives us rest. And that's what I spoke on last week. What I didn't show you was some practical things. Let me see if this thing, it's not working. Uh, some practical things. One, one back, yeah. Is that if you want to hear the word of the Lord, then be at church on Sunday. That's where we preach the word. That's where the word is preached, where people hear, where faith rises, where courage rises, where strength rises, to be able to do the things that God has called them to. How about reading your Bible? Have a plan. Don't just go, oh, shit, I don't know. You know what? There's a, a, a translation called the Passion Translation. If you struggle with trying to just get to grips with, with some of the, some of those are literal translations. They're not helpful. I used to say, no, literal translation. Then I went and studied the Koine Greek, and I realized that actually literal translations can be really unhelpful. So get an NIV at least. Get the message from Eugene Peterson. Get the Passion Translation. Read it as a story. It's God's story to us. It's His story. Have a plan. There are so many. There are apps that you can get. You can read the word every single day. They take you through the Bible. They explain things. There's so much technology that we have that we should not be illiterate as Christians. And yet we are the most illiterate about the word of God ever in history. An indictment on us. How about the Bible? There's a thing called Bible in Your Ear podcast I've, I've stumbled across at the beginning of the year. It's a guy called Kirk Whalem. He's a, he's a jazz musician. He's a saxophonist. So um, Ange will love him. And... Uh, Less than 15 minutes, he goes through a chapter or two of the Old Testament, a chapter or two of the, the New Testament, and a psalm and a proverb, and you can listen to it in your car and be doing it every single day. Just let the Word of God just flow over you. And it's amazing what you hear in those moments. There are many other audio Bibles, but this one is like a daily devotional thing. As you're in your car, you listen to the Word of God. Project, Bibleproject.com, amazing video clips for your kids, for the family to look at which go through the, Bibles, the Bible book by book, which go through um, different aspects of, um, of Christianity, from righteousness, what does it mean? Holiness, what does it mean? The law, what does it mean? Um, podcasts, there are so many podcasts out there. Speak to guys around you, which one are they listening to? Don't listen to some muppet who's defaming the word of God. So watch that one. Discipleship groups, small groups. We've got life groups that meet every week. We've got groups that meet. We've got the adoption uh, course that Kerry's going to be run. Meet with people. Do life with other people who are like-minded about the Word of God. Let them speak the Word of God over you and on those kind of things. And then we have spiritual retreats. You don't have to wait for us to do it. You can do it on your own. But times of solitude and silence are imperative. We need to be living a contemplative life in the crazy world in which we live. We've lost that. We need to go back to the desert fathers and understand what does it mean to withdraw from the noise and the, the craziness of life and just be quiet. Especially moms and dads. Especially moms. You need to be able to withdraw and be quiet. I was going to be naughty there, but I won't. But it's important. They did an a, a, a experiment on mice. And they were female mice. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm being naughty. I'm really being naughty. But they, they took mice and they, they put them in the noisy environment. And then they took, them, took some of them out for an hour and gave them times of silence and solitude. And they were way more healthy than the ones... That were just noise driven every day. You will not believe if you take some time for silence and solitude how much noise is in your head. 
Let's be a community. Let's be a people that withdraw and meet with God and get the noise away and listen to the voice of the Lord, even though it's that still small voice. Because it's not in the thunder, it's not in the lightning. Elijah found that, found that out in what happened to him. And then Ian, next slide. So what, what did, ultimately, I'm starting my preach this morning, is what did Asa do that we can learn from that if we want to have courage, not let our hands get weak and actually be rewarded for what God is, is calling us into, he does these things. He removes idols. He restores the altar of the Lord. He gathers the people together. That's why we, um, 1 Corinthians 10, 25 says, do not be in the habit of some that don't get together. Meet together. Listen to the word being preached. Be a community that moves forward in life together. They gave generously. I mean, you saw that. 700 this, 1,000 this. I mean, it must have been an amazing picture to have seen. They entered into a covenant with God. They worshiped and they sought God with all their heart and with all their soul. So the first thing I'm dealing with this morning so welcome to Lifehouse because we're going to talk about idols this morning. Everyone goes, oh. So I'm sure I go, how many of you by a raise of hands worship idols in your life? Okay. You, know, you see, well, I've got some people that have integrity. You see, it's easy to look at idols in everyone else's life say, or, or other cultures. You can go to like, you know, India especially and you go there and you see all these little kind of shrines and, and these little fat men, Buddhists. I, I don't get that, but okay. Um, I'm not going to worship you. But anyway, but the point is, is you've got all these things and you go, Ah, look at that. Look at the idols that you can see in the east. I mean, it's so evident of all these idols. And unfortunately, what we do is what's way more dangerous in our Western culture is we have so many idols in our hearts. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's the the possessions that we have, the the size of the house or the car or whatever we've got. Maybe it's the sports team that we watch and we will watch religiously no matter what. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's your body. You just spend so much time trying to sculpture this body of yours so that you can feel good about yourself. Maybe it's a music band that you will do anything and scream and shout and pass out on the stage while Justin Bieber screams. Maybe it's clothing. You know, some women have this fetish with, with shoes. I won't, I won't mention who. It would be unhelpful to... Maybe it's just TV. Just what, 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 what could it be? But let's go back to Genesis chapter 3. Let's unpack what an idol is because we can go, well, what is an idol? How does it? Let's, let's unpack this. So Genesis chapter 3. I haven't got it up there. I want you to turn to your Bibles, on your apps, on your, in your books, whatever you have. And it says in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 4, what's happening is Satan is tempting uh, Eve. And they're at the, the tree and there's the fruit in front of them. And he says, come on, man, have, have a bite. And she goes, no, 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 we'll die. And he goes, no, we certainly won't die. For God knows that when you eat from this particular tree, your eyes will be open and you will be like God and you will know good and evil. When the woman saw, now notice that, this is the first time when man decides to act based on what they see rather than based on faith. How many of us are acting on what we see, what we want? Oh, and I'm going to grab that as opposed to what God is saying and the faith in our hearts. So she took the fruit and she saw that it was good and pleasing to eat. And desirable for gaining wisdom. And so she took it and she ate it. She also gave it to her dumb husband who was sitting next to her. And he ate it. Sorry, it doesn't say that. I'm, I'm ad-libbing. When the eyes of both of them were open, they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig trees together and they covered themselves. Now, now I know that that was a, okay, a dumb husband. But let me, let me challenge the husbands right now. Here was a husband who passively, passively sat in the corner, watched his wife get tempted and smashed by the enemy, and did nothing. Guys, we need to stand up. 
Jesus came and he stood up to the enemy and went on the journey to the cross and died the most horrific death so that he could reverse the passivity of us dumb husbands who sit there and watch the enemy take out our wives and our children. Let's start to lead our families, for goodness sake. Let's not sit back and go, oh, you know what, work's so busy, whatever. Are we speaking the word of God? Are we teaching our kids the word of God? We spoke about that with Zoe this morning. Are we having moments where we're engaging our kids and praying together? Or is it just life, 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 busy, busy, busy. Let's go to church and our kids start to hate church because you've got this guy standing up there talking about the big stuff. What is he talking about? But when we start to teach our kids and they come to church, they understand what's being preached up front. When we pray for somebody and they get healed. What are we doing? Laying hands on people. What is that? Are we teaching our kids? Are we standing up? And are we relying on the Holy Spirit to come and lead us in that? Guys, it's the most, it's the, for me, it's the hardest thing in the world. In some ways, to stand up here and preach is easy. But now I've got my kids and my wife to lead. It's way harder. Because they know every aspect about me, where I failed, where I, I shot off and I, I said something stupid and I shouted at my kids because I was frustrated and I wanted to control them. They know all of my failings. So to lead them is way harder. But let's not sit in the corner passively and watch the enemy take our families out. Let's stand up and let's make it a year where we stand up with courage. That we get the faith of the Lord, we get the leading of the Holy Spirit, and we lead our families with courage. Gosh, let's not our hands be weak. Because we will be rewarded. Notice too, if you'd gone to Genesis 2 verse 25, you would have seen, if you look a little bit below that, it says, God's just created Adam and Eve and they were naked and without shame. And now what happens is, is they, they, they sin, and now they attempt to cover their sin with their own works. The Bible calls this a dead work. Where we try and cover our sins with the works that we're doing and make ourselves acceptable before God. And verse 8 says, The man and his wife, they heard the sound of the Lord in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from God amongst the trees. But God said, Where are you? I believe there are people here this morning where God is saying, Where are you? He's been pursuing you for so long, and you've been running, and he's saying, Where are you? Where are you, Mr. X? Where are you, Mrs. Y? Where have you been? What are you doing? So many people, we're hiding from God. Why are you hiding? Well, I think some of you may feel like you're not acceptable to God. Do you know what that is? A dead work. Because you're not relying on the finished work of cross. And you say, no, I need to add something to that to put myself into a place to be acceptable before God. And until I do that, I'm going to keep running from God. And you're missing out on what God has for you and the relationship that he has for you. We need to audit our lives. As a wife, as a husband, financially, where are you spending your money? Sexually, what are you looking at? I think we need to ask God the hard questions. You know what? It's painful, but you know what? It will bring freedom. Verse 10, Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. This is the first time that fear enters creation. Fear is our nemesis, ladies and gents. Fear is from the enemy because if he can get you to fear, he's going to cause you to make the wrong decisions like he did Asa, like he's done every single person throughout the Bible. When you start to fear, it is the opposite of faith. It is unbelief because you don't believe in what God's got for you, so you start to bootmark a plan. And as South African, especially South African males, we are so good at that. So what's the important thing here? Putting Jesus, putting God first. See, if we understand that we are free from our sins, because of the finished work of Christ, that we are free both past, present, and future sins, then what that does is we receive the righteousness of Jesus. He's taken our sin away. And you know what? We don't struggle with the sense of condemnation and shame that Adam and Eve has portrayed in this moment. There are many people. What is condemnation? It's a guilt that we've got because we think, oh, I've done wrong. What is shame? It's like, I am wrong. 
because of what I've done, I am wrong. There's something wrong with me. Well, here's the news, ladies and gents. There is something wrong with us. We have a proclivity to sin because of what happened to our forefathers, Adam and Eve, which has been passed down to us. Our bodies are not saved. We have a proclivity to go towards those things, and until resurrection day, we're going to have that for our whole lives. Sorry to inform you if you haven't worked that one out yet. But with all of these things, if we don't deal with that, then the enemy just goes, gee, scary. You looked at that woman a little bit long. Whoa, you're a pastor. Yo, I think you're, you're useless. You, you shouldn't be doing what you're doing, my man. Why? Because I've realized, well, in that moment, I'm realizing that I haven't appropriated the finished work of Jesus. I'm going, God, no, you've dealt with that. You've not just dealt with the penalty of sin, which I spoke about last week, but also the power of sin in my life. And if I understand what you've done, Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Okay, Lord, I confess that was sin. I looked a little bit too long. Okay, let's move on. But what we do is we start to run from God and we miss out on what he has for us because the devil's accusations come and we don't fully understand the forgiveness that we have in Christ to take us into because we haven't made Jesus the cornerstone. We're not relying on his finished work. So if we don't do that, Ian, this is what happens. Two things. We look for other saviors. There are many. Or we look to perform to either get our salvation or to keep it. So next slide, Ian, please. Is what does that mean about getting a savior? What it means is I define for myself a type of hell. What does that mean? Well, maybe you want respect. And if you don't get respect, that's your hell. Maybe you're single and you want a husband or wife. So what you do is you define that if I don't get married, if I don't find the person, that's my hell. There are many other examples that that could be. Maybe, sure, I, I, hard work. I don't want to be working my whole life. And so I define that as hell, so I do everything not to work. If I don't have that house, then I'm going to be living in hell because I want to live there. I don't want to live here. I want to drive that car because look at the car that I've got. It's 20 years old, for goodness sake. Come on. I want to, I want to Porsche. Or maybe one of those new BMs, those electric ones. I'll have one of those. So what we've done is we've defined a hell for us that I cannot, if I don't get that, I can't, I can't, I, I'm, there's something wrong with me. I'm not valued. I've got something inside of me that's, that's wrong. And so therefore, I, I need to find that thing. So what we do is we go find what we call false functional gods. Because that thing's going to save me. If I find that house, if I find that car, if I find that wife, if I find that person that is going to not make me feel lonely anymore, then you know what? That savior, that person is going to save me from that hell that I've defined myself to be or defined myself in. So let me devote my time, my energy, and my resources there because that functional savior is going to get me out of hell and I'm going to feel happy and it's my form of heaven, this side of eternity. So what we do is we, we give ourselves to worshiping that thing. And you know what the crazy thing is? They're normally good things that God has given to us as gifts that we have now elevated as God's. Of course, God says, if you find a wife, you find a good thing. And by the way, I only want to be called Reverend by Louise, no one else. It hasn't worked yet. But as I said, we turn those good things into idols. And you know what? They don't satisfy us, and then we get frustrated. Don't you think advertising, those of you in advertising, you guys sell functional saviors every day. You know what? If you don't have this, you're going to experience hell. So you know what? If you buy this, not only will you get this, but you'll get this. And you will feel this. And you will be happy and you will experience heaven because you need that. Because that's your hell and you need heaven. Secondly, 
if we don't understand the finished work of, of Christ and that he's the cornerstone in our life, that we're drawing close to him, we're going to lack the courage to deal with this thing, what we're going to do is we're going to say, well, let me try and earn my salvation. Let me make sure, let me add to this, this work of Christ. And, and, and more than that, maybe you know you've got it now, but no, let me, let me, I've got to make sure that I keep it. No, 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 Jesus provided the way. In fact, Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of your own works, that nobody can boast. It's a gift of God. So that's Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. And the problem is if we pursue right standing in God, if you can go to the next slide, please, Ian. What happens is, is all that is is self-righteousness, and we nullify the working of salvation. Because it's all about us, and we put our faith in our own works, not in the work of Christ. And you know what will happen? We'll be frustrated because it will never come to a place that we want. When we, we've all got the kids that are in our families. And our, Jenna's not here, so I can tease her. It was always similar, I've seen. And you saw even on the thing. Oh, she is here. Sorry, baby. Okay, some other child. Um, <laughs> but the strong-willed kids, it's like, I can do it! It's like saying to God, Jesus, thank you, but I can do this life. I don't need your working salvation. I can do it! And then we go, no, I can't do it! Jesus says, I can help you. No, I can do it! We, we are like toddlers before God with, this, with these things. And here's the thing, the more sin that we have in our life, the more we are tempted to perform dead works. You would think it's the other way, but it's not. Because now, oh, I've messed up, and it's not working, I'm frustrated, let me do more. So what dead works does is it kind of says, let me work harder, let me do, I must do more, I must get better, I must be more confident. And we get onto this treadmill of religion, and it's the worst treadmill to be on, because you will never satisfy, only he satisfies. Even Israel, what happened was they said once a year what would happen, go read the book of Hebrews, go read Leviticus, go read all of that. What's put in place in the law is once a year the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and give an offering to cover the sin of Israel for a year. And instead of what, they didn't really understand what that meant and what actually was the, the purpose of the sacrificial system became the means for providing condemnation in their lives. Because I better do this. I better do this to receive the approval of God. And if I don't do this, and what happens is they actually landed up becoming condemned because we better get... Uh, that wasn't the point. The point was God was saying, no, I've covered your sin. Until the time that Jesus comes, you will deal with it once and for all. Christians, we do the same thing, don't we? We've just read what Adam and Eve do. We do the same thing. We find fig trees and we cover ourselves and we go, okay, God, I'm fine, I'm fine. I don't need you, I don't need you. No, I need you, no, I don't need you. So how do we know that we have dead works in our lives? Well, you feel good about what you're doing. You know what? I prayed this morning. I feel so much better. You know what? I gave money to that car guard. Yes, and I really feel much better. You know what? I, I went and I, I had an issue in my heart, you know, towards, uh, let me choose somebody, Ian. And, and, and I went and I dealt with it. So I feel so much better. The worst thing that can happen to a Christian, the worst thing, is that you live a successful life. Let me say that again. The worst thing that can happen to a Christian is that you lead a successful life based on your own disciplines. Because you think that your righteous works makes you acceptable before God, and you miss out on what God actually has for you. Because it's got nothing to do with your works. It's got everything to do with Him. The covenant was made between Jesus and the Father. We simply receive it. That is the scandal of the gospel. <laughs> and to start to believe that we can keep the demands of righteousness by, by, other than by faith, is the most ludicrous thing. That's why Jesus needed to come. 
That's why he came to earth. That's why he became a man. And if we do that, as you can see at the top there, we stunt our growth in Christ and we hinder our relationship with God and with others. So, next slide, please. What is an idol? Well, let me define it for you. It's anything that's more important than God. It's anything that absorbs, absorbs my heart, my imagination more than God. It's anything that I seek to give you what, anything that you seek that will give you what only God can give you. And let me define it. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that thing, then I will feel my life has meaning. Then I will know that I have value. Then I will be significant and secure. Okay, so shall I ask you some questions to see if you have some idols in your lives? Because most of you said you didn't. Let's have a look. Ian, if you can take me to the first slide. What is your greatest fear? What is your greatest fear? What do you fear having or not having? Because that's probably the idol in your life. Adam and Eve, was that that one fruit? Adam and Eve, you can have this whole garden, but that one, don't have it. No, I want that one. We know with our kids, it's the same thing. Don't touch that. You can have all of this. Whoop, they, they take that. Number two, what do you long for more passionately than any other thing? I, I, I want a smaller nose. I want a smaller butt, a bigger butt. Bigger boobs, smaller boobs. Status. Being respected. I've got decent sized boobs. I'm not feeling any problems. <laughs> so what makes you happy? What makes you feel happy about things? Again, we tend towards the good things, the gifts that God has given us, not the bad things. We all think drugs and all that. No, no, no. What are the good things that God's giving you that you've elevated from a good thing to a God thing? What are you worshiping? Where do you run for comfort? Do you run to the fridge? I know I comfort eat. Wow. Junk food. When I'm stressed out, when I'm tired, chips. What about sex? Medi- medication. How do I find comfort? Well, let me pop some pills. Maybe I just get angry. Just get everyone away from me. That's how I find my comfort. Let me ask you, what triggers your anger? Number four. If you're in the traffic and those taxis do the most crazy things that you can imagine, does anger go, why? Are you feeling disrespected? What is the point? What is, what is the root of that? Why are you getting angry? Maybe somebody said something about you and you, you don't want your, your reputation to be marred until you get angry. Do you have to worry about that? What are you angry about God about? Because, you know, God's failed you because you want that thing and he hasn't given it to you. And you know that you need that thing because if you don't have that thing, you're not going to feel like you've got what you need for your life. And maybe God's just holding back because he knows that if he gives you that, it's going to destroy you. Romans 1, one of the most horrible scriptures for me, is that after a while, God just gives us over to our desires. No, I want that, I want that, I want that. Okay, yeah. Oh, it's not what I thought. Yeah, exactly. That's why I didn't give it to you in the first place, Gary. You muppet. Number six, what do you sacrifice the most for? Your time, your money, your resources, your energy. Because actually, often, that'll show you what you really are worshiping. And I've often said this, and Rory Dyer once shared this, if you know who Rory is. He's a guy who leads a church in Pretoria. And he, and he was watching some guys get baptized uh, on the Durban beachfront when he was leading um, uh, Glenridge. And uh, he saw what the guy does. He took his watch off. He took his car keys out of his pocket, and he took his wallet out. Car keys, status. Watch, my time. 
my wallet, my resources, my time. So often what we do is we go get baptized, but don't, don't touch that, God. We live in an age where people aren't tithing. People aren't giving towards what God's work is all about. They're withholding. They're doing all their own things. And yet Malachi 3 says, well, you, you, you built for yourself. Not Malachi. Haggai says, you built for yourselves your own houses. And you forget about the house of the Lord. And so you've got ministers throughout the country. And all of my mates who are leading churches all struggling. Why? Because people are holding back and not giving their first fruits towards God. Is that a rebuke? Yeah, it is. People should be giving their first fruits towards God because that's the way God has designed it. And I, am I the beneficiary of that? Yes, I am because I'm the pastor. But the point is, is I can stop preaching that. But the truth is, is that's the way God has put it in play. And people hold back and look after their own stuff. That's what you're worshiping. You're worshiping that holiday. You're worshiping that new house, that new car, rather than giving towards the endeavors of the church, which is God's vehicle to pursue the kingdom of God for people and with people into the future. I remember, and some of you have heard my story on this, is working for Deloitte, and I was a facilitator for Seven Habits for Highly Effective People. And I remember sitting there, and what you would do is you would, to get the guys to find out what their values are, you would get them to write down a whole bunch of values. And then you say, okay, now, now prioritize them. Which, which one's one? Which one's two? Don't do more than ten. And you start to, what you start to put in place is to put that first things first, which is one of the principles. So you start to get this mission statement and life um, plan that you start to work out. Because most people don't think about those things. So what happens is, is probably nine out of ten people had family as number one. Job as number two or three. So I asked them the question, okay, who's living this out? No one put up their hands. So I said, well, why aren't you putting family first? No, because Deloitte's put so much demand on us, man. No, 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 no. No, no, Deloitte doesn't do that. Why do you work the hours that you do? Yeah, because if I don't do that, then I'm not going to achieve. Ah. So really what you should have is work up at number one. That's what you're worshiping. That is your priority, not your family. You can say that your family is your priority until you're blue in the face. If you're not spending time with them, if you're not sacrificing to be with them and do the stuff that you need to be doing for them, they are not your priority. You are worshiping your job. It was an interesting moment for me. Number seven, if you could change one thing in your life, what would it be? I want to be skinnier. I want to be prettier, smarter, earn more money. I want to get married. That one thing has the potential, if not already, to be an idol in your life. So, to finish off, how do we deal with this? Because now we're all, we're all depressed and like, oh, flip. I think I answered probably yes to every single one of those. And they actually had 13 questions, but I cut it down to seven. Anyway, the point is, is we've got, how do we remove this? Well, number one, we need to recognize and acknowledge. Those of you who didn't put up your hands, Sisman. We've all got these functional saviors and idols in our hearts, and we need to name them. Hey, God, I'm a people pleaser. I actually, I worship man's approval. God, forgive me for that. I'm confessing it to you. I'm confessing to you a sin. I'm confessing that that's not the way I am. I, 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 want, I want your affirmation, not the affirmation of man. Oh, I want to feel good, God. I don't feel good. How do I feel good? Let me go to the fridge and get that ice cream. I want more money because I want to do that. So yeah, he has a confession for me. And, and maybe you've got a theology, a theology around it. But during the week, I just feel this unction, go play the lotto. I've never played the lotto in my life. Go play the lotto. So I go, and, and then I hear that someone close in our family had won something in the lotto. So I go, okay. So I, I go to the shops last night about six o'clock and I buy a lotto ticket. Won nothing. <laughs> Why? Because financially it's a strain. So you go, well, let me, let me find a functional saver called the lotto. Even me. 
Number two. Number two. We need to repent. See, the, the Greek word is metanoia. To change the way we think. And what, what that's saying is, is that we need to change the way we think. And if you look at the definition, when we repent from dead works, it's changing our mind about and turning away from our own works, the works that we think that make us righteous and save us. We need to go, actually, the lot is not going to save me. The lot is not my provision. God is. No matter what goes on, he's never let us down. At times, it's like, you, you know, 11th hour stuff. I mean, this last month, I was like, 11th hour and fingernail stuff, and then money coming. Oh, jeez, thank goodness. Okay, God, can you stop doing that? My heart can't take it. It's not about con- constantly repenting from our sins. Remember that. It's repenting from dead works. We repent from our sins once. Penalty done with. I accept the finished work of Christ. I'm saved. I'm a new creation. Imperishable word of God. It's done. I'm in heaven. I've got the ticket. But who wants to live there? I want to live here in my inheritance. And when I mess up and I do dead works and I do all those things and I sin, I go, oh, God, confess us a sin to you. That's not who I am. I'm a son of yours. I'm not a slave. I don't have to work for my salvation. Excuse me, you're in the prayer zone. I don't have to work for my salvation. I don't have to keep my salvation by doing works. I've got it. It's mine. But God, you've got good works in advance that you prepared for me to do. I need to find out what those are. I can only find those what they are if I'm with you and I'm hearing your word and faith rises and I've got the courage to do what you call me to do. If you don't have a revelation that there is thou therefore no condemnation in Christ Jesus, Romans 8 verse 1, you will continually try and make good your salvation with God, to be acceptable before God. And it's a dead work. We need to repent from it. Replace is the number three. I've got five R's. We're made to worship. You and I, that's what we're made to do. We worship. If we're not worshiping God, we're worshiping something. And we need to watch that we don't, we've got to substitute the worship of those things, those functional saviors, into the worship of God. Now, I'd have made a mind who went across to the States and planted a church in, in the States. And it was obviously an interesting area. And this lady got up and gave a testimony. And she said, I want to thank God. He's delivered me from drugs. And he's given me gambling. <laughs> now, we laugh. But how many of you are workaholics and you work, 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 and then you go, oh, gee, I'm put a bit of weight on, I, I, need to, I need to stop working and, and look after myself, and then you just spend your hours exercising. You just substitute one for the other. We do that. Or what we do is we fall into the self-righteousness or Phariseeism. You know? Like my mom always said, and I don't think she's here this morning, she used to be a smoker. She's an ex-smoker. She said, ex-smokers are the worst non-smokers. Why? Because, oh, I've got over it. Why can't you stop smoking, man? Gee, you know, I used to drink, and, yo, no, you need to stop drinking. Or, gee whiz, I've lost a lot of weight. You need to lose weight, you fatty. (laughs) Number four, rely on the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 verse 2 says, Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit gives us life and has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by our flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. So in condemning sin in the flesh, in order that the righteousness requirements of the law might be fulfilled by us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I love Michael Eaton said, what Michael Eaton says, used to say, he's no longer around, is that when we walk by the Spirit, we accidentally fulfill the law. But when we try and do all of this stuff, oh God, I don't, we land up either as a Pharisee 
When we, oh, I'm making it, I'm trying to get in there, I'm tidying on my mint and my cumin and my, my spice rack, and I'm doing all the right things, and look at me. Or what we do is we go, God, I can't do this. It's not possible, God. That's the point. Jesus came, but when we walk by the Spirit, we accidentally fulfill what God has called us into and what He wants us to do. The good news is, is one day we won't have this body, this flesh, this proclivity to sin. And that's the hope that we have. Because we will overcome, the only way we overcome the desires of our flesh and the shame that we feel for what we've done in our bodies, which what Adam and Eve felt, was by walking in step with the Spirit, being empowered by Him. And then lastly, we rejoice. We look at Asa. What does he do? Deals with the idols, removes the altars. Worship begins. There's trumpets. There's a declaration of it. And there's a rejoicing. What, what is there a rejoicing in? There's a rejoicing in that Jesus has done it all. Jesus has made the way. And you know what? When we do that, we rightfully relate to created things. We can eat without being a glutton. We can be friends without worshiping other people's approval. We can work a job without it becoming a God. We can do all of those things, and they don't become a functional Savior. So in conclusion, here's my little picture. Let's run through what I've just said. If Jesus is our corner, if we have idols in our lives, what we do is we look for other saviors, functional saviors. Or what we do is we realize, we go, no, Jesus' work isn't enough. Let me start to work, and we embark on a dead works process. And then what happens is, is that we land up in performance. Or on the other side is we worship a false savior. Both of these are dead works. What we need to do is if we don't do anything about it, we land up either legalists, or we are frustrated, or we land up in despair. That's the only results. As opposed to going, no, let me come to a strength and the courage that I find through hearing the word of God by being with him to recognize what's going on, to repent and to replace this, to have a full reliance on Jesus who is our cornerstone. A full reliance on the Holy Spirit is going to lead me to land up in a place where I declare and I worship him with my whole being because you know what the result is. I will, my hands will not get weak and I will receive rest and reward from him. Amen. So, last slide. Only Jesus. Let's worship Him. We've got a few more minutes. Let's just worship Him because it's only Jesus. It's only Him. It's only by Christ. It's Christ alone. Solo Christos. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that anybody can boast. For we are God's handiwork, His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which He prepared in advance for us to do. May you be blessed by the Word of God this morning. Let's stand and worship Him.